Hi, this is Roy Chambers. I'm the artist in residence for Project 79. You're listening to Point of Learning with Peter Horn, my dog. On today's show, a better way to do school. So what we try to do is to reclaim these kids. Uh, to, to let them feel as though they can do it, they should do it, they belong, and to give them a sense of being a part of something uh, and an identity. The best conversations I have ever had, the most open, the most authentic conversations I've ever had about difference come in project classes. There's a uh, willingness to just say things that I don't always experience in other places. On September 4th, 1979, a small alternative education program welcomed its first students, high school students, to a different kind of learning experience. Nearly 40 years later, that program is still going strong. That kind of longevity alone would make Project 79 unusual, even unique among alternative education experiments undertaken in the 1970s. But there's so much more to it than that. As someone who worked in Project 79 for 14 years, first teaching English and then teaching while also coordinating the program, I believe it's about the best way to do school, for reasons today's show will explore. I'll be talking with the program's two other coordinators, my predecessor, Alan Lantis, who directed Project from its origin in the late 1970s until 2008, and Jackie Spring, who took over from me when I left Westfield High School in 2015. They are both dear friends and important influences on my thinking about what matters in school. We'll get to the magic of Project 79 in just a minute, but I'd like to introduce these two remarkable educators, both coincidentally social studies teachers, through stories from their own school history that set them up to value a more personalized approach to education. In the spring of 1966, Alantis was a high school senior in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. By his own lights, he was a mediocre student, earning C's in most everything except history class, which he really liked. He wasn't thinking seriously about college until one of his teachers nearly literally went the extra mile to offer a word of encouragement. It was a, an evening, nighttime graduation under the lights, and um, uh, it was my English teacher, Mrs. Bartlett, who, who uh, Again, she had an artificial leg. I remember it so well. And she was, you know, a little older. And the ceremony was about to begin, and we're all lined up on the field, getting into our appropriate spots. And everybody looks across the field, and here comes who we refer to as Black Bart, uh, because we thought she was, you know, so tough. And well, she comes limping and across the field, across the field, and everybody's looking at her and saying, like, eyes opening wide, who's she after now? Mm -hmm. And she came closer and closer, and she came up to me. I said, me, of all people? 
and she huffing and puffing and she said I just want you to know before you graduate you got the highest grade on the English exam and I was like aghast I, I, you know I could not believe that because we had some pretty pretty high achieving kids in that in that uh, in her four classes but anyway long story short what it really really stayed with me and once I did go off to this little school in the uh, cornfields of Iowa that one comment and that one little achievement of four years of high school was enough to say wait a minute I can do this and I went there and had a wonderful experience with some great professors and um, and graduated with a degree in history and political science. And I, I do attribute a lot of it to, to that one interaction because it was that that led me to believe that it's possible. That school in the cornfields of Iowa was called Midwestern College. Al earned his master's at Fairleigh Dickinson University. I say this all the time. As a teacher, as an educator... You have to be on every moment that you are interacting with students because you never know. You never know when that moment is going to take place. What you think is a simple interaction, what you think is a simple look to a student in the back of the room could be the difference in that kid's life. And so you have to be aware of that. Your radar has to be out all the time. Who is it that I can connect with at this moment? Who in this class, when you walk in, not only are you thinking about your lesson plan, you're not just thinking about the questions you're going to ask and the assignment you're going to give. One of the things in your mind is who out there, who out there needs something today? And is it is, uh, am I the person who can provide that for them today at this given moment? And maybe, who knows, maybe 90% of the time it's not going to happen. But if you're aware of that and continue to look for it, if you get it 10% of the time over the course of a career, you're doing pretty good. Jackie Spring, who has done graduate study at Ryder University, is a proud graduate of Virginia Tech. But her example of what connected her to the kind of teaching offered in Project came while she was still thinking about attending the University of Georgia. When I got serious about going to college, I went down to Georgia and one of the advisors was like, you need to take chemistry. And I'm like, oh my God, no. I have worked very hard to not take any sciences except for the expected ones for the state of New Jersey can we negotiate on this? And no, you can't, you have to take chemistry. So my senior year of high school, I took chemistry because I wanted to go to Georgia. And the teacher that I had, his name was Mr. Vitali. He was awesome. And every, I don't know what happened about that class, but I just gained this confidence where every time he lectured, when he was done, I'd be like, excuse me, Mr. Vitali, <laughs> everything you just said, I didn't get. Can you come and reteach everything you just said to me over here? And he would, and he actually did. Literally, like every week, he spent at least 15 minutes with me just going through all of the things that chemistry expected of me. 
And um, I didn't go to Georgia, but I think he just demonstrated to me that like teachers weren't just these authoritative figures. They actually cared. I asked what it was about Mr. Vitale. I think he just sort of was like, hey, you in the back. Like he was this guy who was from like Western Pennsylvania. My family is from Western Pennsylvania. There's this sort of like demeanor that is sort of like, Hey, yo, but not in a New Jersey way, in a Western Pennsylvania way. And so I just sort of approached him in that way, like, yo, Mr. Vitale. And he just sort of responded to that. I think he also was not a guy who, if I'm being totally honest, I don't think he was a guy that, I think he cared very much about his content area, but didn't take himself too seriously. I think he really was there to make us feel like we could learn chemistry. Act one. Just what is this program called Project 79? Let's start with some experts, the students themselves. It's a, it's a great sense of community, and I always feel respected in the classroom. I'm always excited to participate. Uh, it, it really broke me out of my shell, and uh, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people that I haven't been friends with before. project was and will always be a family for me. An academic family, sure, uh, because without project I wouldn't have learned how to do so much work that I'm doing now in college. I just wouldn't have succeeded without project. Project is not like any other program that you'll find. It is based upon what the students are going to, to need, and so they they decide how to handle the class, what's being done in the class, and the way they approach topics, and giving students that freedom is something I have never seen in any other classroom. This question is probably my least favorite question out of anything about Project, just because there's so many like different aspects that play into Project 79 that I just personally love, and I don't know, I feel like this question just always bothered me because there's so, like, I can't think of just one thing. And, like, Project is just such a beautiful place and it's such, like, a meaningful thing to me that I can't pick out one thing. It's, like, nearly impossible for me. Just what Project is hasn't always been easy for coordinators either to put our finger on. It wasn't an easy question to answer. <laughs> it depended on your audience at any given time. Structurally, Project 79 is a kind of school within a school in Westfield, New Jersey. It's within Westfield High School, and it's for students of average to above average ability who have struggled with more traditional approaches to education. Most years, Project offers courses in the four core academic areas of English, Mathematics, Science, and Social Studies taught by a team of teachers who meet regularly to talk about kids and plan new ways to engage them better as learners. The classes are smaller than traditional classes. You might have 10 or 15 kids in a class as opposed to, say, uh, 25. The smaller classes and the meetings and the multiple years in the program let teachers get to know students better uh, than they would in non-project classes. 
Since 2009, there's also been an art teacher, Roy Chambers, in the program to support interdisciplinary projects using sculpture, painting, graphic design, and more. But these structural descriptions just scratch the surface. So what the program started out as, and what it is today, again, 39 plus years later, is uh, an attempt to reach those students who for so many different reasons uh, are not feeling comfortable in school, who may be alienated, who may have issues outside of school um, uh, that make it difficult for them to connect in what is in Westfield a pretty kind of standard strict approach to education. And the kind of thing that if a student is not feeling confident for whatever reason, uh, will tend to um, disengage pretty quickly. So what we try to do is to reclaim these kids, uh, to, to let them feel as though they can do it, they should do it, they belong, and to give them a sense of being a part of something uh, and an identity, because it's a, a, an attempt to reach out to not allow these students to be left in the wake, to be left in the dust, that they are, they, are, they are someone, they have something to contribute. And as we've seen over the course of 40 years is that if you, if you grab them and pull them back in, they will succeed. They have succeeded. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of kids who have gone through the program, many of which, most of which, are living happy, successful lives right now. For example, Jesse Gregory, class of 2011, who developed the sick beat you just heard as part of her senior independent study in hip hop. School was extremely hard for me. I wasn't able to focus in large classes. I honestly never thought about college or even considered applying until I became a project member. Because of this program, I found my way. I'm now a Project 79 alumni and a graduate of West Virginia University. All the music in the soundscape of today's show was written and or performed by project students. <laughs> okay. I got this. Do you miss the birch wood forest where you Hi, uh, I'm Patrick. I'm a project student. Um, so Westfield is a really black and white, kind of stereotypical high school movie town, and Project 79 is a good way to disconnect from that. When I think about Project 79, I think about a community that accepts different learning styles as well as encourages the learning styles. Hi, I'm Adam. Um, what I wanted to say about Project is that if you've been branded as like a stupid kid or like someone who doesn't try, but like you, you're you don't feel you don't feel that way, but the school system has branded you that way. That project will see that and take you and make you into a better student. Uh, what up? I'm Juan, and uh, what what project is to me is uh, is your is your new home away from home, and 
I like that, it's lit. I was asking the kids this morning this question. How do you describe project? They say things like, we're all weirdos. We're all weirdos and it's cool. Then we can take an academic risk. Then we're not afraid to ask a question. Then we're not afraid to say what we really think because we know that our answers are gonna be considered. And even if it's not right, they're just not right yet. And I think that really tells you about what project is. It is a place where people are willing to um, give kids a space to really develop and grow. Um, and I don't know that kids really always feel like they have those spaces in any inst academic institution. I think this is the thing about project that is uh, not understood in a way that I wish it was more understood, is that with that understanding and sense of comfort and closeness comes a different kind of accountability. Mm -hmm. So kids know and kids will say often that they're not just accountable to themselves and their parents, but they know that when they come and they don't do something, someone in the class is gonna check them on it. If they are um, not working to their potential even, kids are gonna check them on it. Teachers are gonna know. On a day that you're phoning it in, that's not, I know that's not your best, so I'm not gonna accept it. Or I'm gonna work with you to like develop it so that it is a presentation of your best work. The closeness and the respect that's built up over the course of multiple years between the staff and the students is such that they there is a built-in accountability. Mm -hmm. They don't want to let themselves down, their classmates, and, 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 the, and the staff mm -hmm. uh, because of the investment the staff has made with them. Kids are, by, are not by nature bad. There, there are always reasons why they are dysfunctional or not succeeding. And that's part of what Project does, is to find out why that is the case. Because once you know that and start addressing that issue, they, they'll respond. Uh, they, they begin to say, hey, wait a minute, this person cares about me. They understand me. I'm not going to do that to that teacher because they know who I am and they care about what I'm doing and, and what I'm not doing. In so many ways, I think Project Kids are just not about playing the game. They want authentic connections. They want authentic interactions. And I think sometimes for a lot of our kids, that question of, are you real right now? Or are you faking it because you're the teacher gets in their way of doing anything that they want to do in school. Act two, how to build an effective education alternative. Over the past four decades, Project 79 has hosted educators not only from throughout New Jersey and the US, but also international visitors from Russia, Germany, England, and France. One of the reasons I wanted to devote a show to Project 79 is that I know that when people learn about this program, they want to understand the elements of its success. Every school has some students who are more like orchids than wildflowers, astonishingly various, fascinating young people who nonetheless require some particular care in order to show their spectacular colors. A 
former colleague in recent years helped to rebrand the alt-ed program on Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, Project Vine, for instance. So kids who could benefit from a program like Project are a given in any school environment. But what else is required to develop and sustain your own local project? The second half of the show discusses the four key ingredients. The right teachers, time for those teachers to meet, and a common space to serve as headquarters. But before any of that, you gotta do your homework. In the mid-1970s, the Westfield superintendent of schools was a man named Larry Green. He recognized that there were students who needed something different, so he convened a committee of educators, parents, and other citizens interested in exploring the issue. These people did their homework, reading whatever they could find about alternative education and decided to move forward. We did a lot of reading, we did a lot of research, we had librarians uh, pulling out all the current articles on, on alternative education, all of which were extremely helpful. Superintendent Green found money for a team of volunteers to travel and learn what they could about strategies in alternative education. Uh, we went to Maine, we went to Pennsylvania, we went down to uh, Maryland, uh, uh, a number of different places where we knew alternative programs were in existence based on the research that we had done. And um, what we did was uh, to visit those that were highly acclaimed and then found ones that had not succeeded. We went to both to find out what was the difference. And that, uh, that was important. Uh, that was a real turning point for us in terms of developing the program because the thing we found out was that <clears throat> what was very popular at the time, the period you're talking about, the 60s and 70s, was this... Um, uh, this drive to make kids feel good, you know, uh, the, to make them feel at home, to make them feel comfortable. And a lot of the programs that were set up did just that and did only that. And what we found from those that had failed was that they had, uh, what they neglected was to have a strong academic base, a, a strong academic accountability. You just can't bring um, at-risk kids together and say, we're going to make you feel good. <laughs> we're going to make you feel good, but at the same time, and more importantly, you're going to study, you're going to achieve, you're going to do what we ask you to do in terms of academics. And it's got to be a continuous balance between those two, to feel comfortable, to feel connected, to feel respected. Um, but at the same time to have a strong academic base. And, and that was always uh, what we did in Project, and it's what goes on today. It's not a place to warehouse kids and keep them out of trouble and keep them calm, uh, but it's a place where they're going, to, uh, they're going to achieve. So the first major takeaway was that an effective alternative program needs to educate the whole child tending to intellectual and academic, as well as social and emotional needs. Number two, let kids choose to join. A program like Project needs to be voluntary. That was the other thing that we learned, uh, that um, uh, you know, a lot of the programs that were developed at that time was that uh, they were uh, a warehouse of disciplinary problems. 
you know, you've gotten in trouble seven times, ten times, you're going to the alternative program. But, but no, you're going right. report in the morning kind of thing. Well, you know, that wasn't the case with the program and certainly not the case, uh, you know, to this day. Uh, every student who came into the program um, did so because they chose to enter the program and because their parents were supportive of, of that decision. And that buy-in is, of course, uh, very important because as you bring them in you say okay here we, we say here's what the program is here's where you have some have had some difficulty we think we can help you with that do you want this mm -hmm. and if they say yes we say good here are our expectations if you come into the program so because we've been around for a long time you know to some degree uh, it's some of the kids see it as a as a privilege to come into the program so that's what you can learn by taking an inquiry stance from the outset. Key ingredient number two, the right staff. Staffing was always a, a big issue in the program. After over 40 years, uh, you know, we've had, oh, I can't remember, never even stopped to count, but um, dozens and dozens of staff members go through the program. Most of them successful. But what made that staff member successful is their ability to, to give up who they are, give up their ego, and to, um, and to focus on, on the student. Not always easy. Uh, and even those staff members who said, I want to be a part of that, I like what you're doing, I want to be a part of that, have not always came, come into the program and turned automatically into the stellar alternative education staff member. Uh, it, it takes a certain amount, not a certain, it takes a lot of self-confidence. Not ego. Mm. Not ego, but self-confidence. That you're going to go in there and you're going to work and work and work. Not only in teaching history or math, but you're going to work at teaching that kid uh, about life, about decisions, about where they fit in. Uh, and not all, not all teachers are cut out to do that or want to do that. But those who do uh, can find a real, uh, a very rewarding experience because if you do it, those kids give back. I think also that the comfort in, um, <clears throat> the comfort in questioning yourself daily and never feeling like you have the balance of pushing and pulling back right. And being okay with the feeling that like, I'm gonna try again tomorrow. That's hard for a lot of people to just be okay with that condition. You know, today I pushed a little too hard. Tomorrow, I didn't really push them as hard as I, they needed to be pushed. Um, feeling a sense of comfort, I think, is also something for a staff member to be able to find peace with in their own way. Because um, it's, it's not the same thing every day. You're getting um, wildly different experiences month to month, year to year. And I think when you say, I mean, Al, you always talk about chipping away. I try to say that a lot too, that you, know, you don't always see the rewards of all your input in the freshman year. When you start with them on day one in September of their freshman year, you often see that in their junior year, perhaps senior year, or perhaps when they're like 35 and they come <laughs> back and they say, look at this awesome thing that I'm doing. 
and you're like, if I, if we could just go back for a minute and look at what life was like for you in high school, like, I don't know that I would have ever expected that. So thank you for that gift of knowledge that you have done something really awesome, or I have played some tiny little role in that progress. Um, I think finding that comfort is really hard for a project teacher. And I think the best of intentions don't always mean that you're good at that. I think it takes a lot of self-restraint to be a good project teacher and a lot of constant reinforcement of you're not always going to get it right. And most days you don't get it right, but that's okay. Come back tomorrow and try again. (laughs) And you'll have a team of teachers around you to try to support you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Jackie has a slightly different take on ego. I think when you assume a role of teacher, even I think there's a certain degree of ego that you have to adopt Uh to just even go in front of a class full of teenagers or little children or whatever age you're working with. And so you have to, to some degree, I think you have to adopt a certain degree of ego. But I also think sometimes when you don't understand why a kid is behaving in a way that you don't want them to behave and you can't actually control their behavior, sometimes it's easier to just jump into the like, well, that kid's a pain. That kid's disruptive. That kid is ruining my class dynamic for everybody else. Something that I have learned from Project is when I can leave my ego at the door, we can actually engage in those conversations in a way that makes it productive for both the teacher who's trying to get kids to demonstrate some kind of academic growth and personal growth, and the kid who is just confused of who this lady is, Jackie Sprang, that's talking at them, you know? Sidebar, two paradoxes of teaching. Paradox is a device I loved to teach, not least because it was an excuse to write some Greek on the chalkboard. Para here means next to, like paramedic or paralegal or parallel lines. Dox means belief, as orthodox derives from right belief, and doxology means some words about belief sung in Christian churches. You get a paradox when there's two non-overlapping ideas, both worth taking seriously. The paradoxes of teaching are part of what makes it so hard, and so rewarding. I embraced one with help from Bev Geddes, a master colleague in English by the time I started at Westfield. We were sharing a classroom in my third year of teaching, and one day, during the transition between classes, we overheard an exchange between students, in which one kid clearly couldn't remember the name of the teacher he'd had just last year. Without missing a beat, Bev, who was adored by students and colleagues alike, said, Kind of puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? She was smiling because she also knew that for many kids, you as the teacher are probably seeing them more in a given week than their own parents. So to remain effective while not burning out, teachers need to remember both parts of this paradox. A. Your work may be immensely influential. And B. Given what all else is going on in a given kid's life, he may not remember your name next year. The trick is relying on the part that will help you keep things in perspective at any given moment. There's a similar apparent contradiction in Al's educational philosophy. On the one hand, you as a teacher have to be on the lookout for a small potential interaction that might make a great difference in a kid's trajectory. 
Like Mrs. Bartlett's labored trip across the field to congratulate Al on his English exam score. On the other hand, especially in a program for at-risk learners, you need to consider your daily work one small part of a long and collaborative process. Nothing you do, nothing any one teacher in the program does is going to make the difference, is going to change them. It's a process. It took them many years to get to the point where they're at. You're not going to change them in, uh, in one class or, you know, one week. It, it was a process, and, and we knew that, and you could see that because we had the privilege of working with these kids over the course of multiple years, and you could see the development. You could see the change. As Jackie said, Al's memorable metaphor for this was chipping away. And it's not one sculptor. It's it's a uh, you know four or six sculptors working on the same uh, yeah working on the same project. Um, and um, one of the things I liked about project is that um, you know we know as human beings that we don't connect or identify with everybody that we come into contact with. Uh, our personalities don't match. Uh, everybody that we meet. And so in Project, I think working with a team of teachers, all of whom had different personalities, you had a greater chance of working together to say, that kid is you. That's the kid that you're able to connect with. That's the kid who, for whatever reason, connects with you. And so, you know, that individual, you can back off a little bit knowing that your colleague is going to work on that one. And so, you know, when I, when I went in and I had uh, whatever it was I was teaching in any given year, you know, 65 kids, I, 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 at the beginning I would see who, who are the kids here that I can, for whatever reason, I have some kind of connection with. And those are the ones that I would go after. And then I'd look as the coordinator, who else is connecting with some other of these kids so that everybody is covered. Now, it doesn't mean that every kid has only one staff member. It overlaps a lot. Mm-hmm. But to, to be able to identify those kids that, that you can you know, just kind of grab onto and pull in is important. And again, the privilege of having those kids for three or four years working with however number of staff members, four, six, eight staff members, there's a certain amount of um, comfort in that knowing that you don't have to solve the problem today, that it's going to be a process. Essential ingredient number three, time for staff to meet. Project 79 staff meet for a full period nearly every school day. That was built into the program right from day one. It was part of the schedule from the first day the program went into existence. Uh, Even before we met the first student, we knew that there would need to be a what we called a debriefing session. Uh, That's how it was originally designed. Uh, You know, what went on today? What kid was on? Who was off? Who needs to be attended to? Who uh, whose parent needs to be called? Uh, Do we need to set up a meeting? This staff meeting allows us to to go from teachers of specific kids 
that we share in different spaces to we all teach these kids. Mm -hmm. I truly believe you cannot have this program without that time for teachers to understand that they are in a community of teachers that then extends outward. And if teachers don't feel connected to other teachers teaching similar kids and trying to achieve similar goals, um, you, I don't know that you can continue to no. have the cohesiveness you that don't, this community You don't want to feel needs. isolated yeah. teaching at-risk kids. Yeah. Uh, you'll burn out too quickly. Yeah. Five, six, seven, eight. And finally, the last key ingredient, easily overlooked. The project office is the headquarters of the program for teacher and student members. It's a large classroom arranged with meeting and work spaces for teachers and students. There's also room to play a little, with areas for kids and teachers to catch up, to read, play chess, or eat lunch. I think that's really important for people to understand that it is both for teachers to have desks and do work in that office, but also for kids to have a space to do homework, sit quietly, talk with people. Um, it is, I learned from you guys the value of that, that office early on, which is it's not about just going and being in there, it's about interacting with kids. Mm -hmm. It's about sitting with kids, eating your lunch with kids and having conversations and the things you can learn about them just by sitting with them. Um, we often joke currently with some of the kids we have now, there's a pe period, period five right now. The group that's in there, we just seem to every single day uh, talk about food. <laughs> and um, these kids that are in there, they were period three last year. They've become period five this year. We just talk about different food that we like from around the world and things that we've tried and things that they've made and experimented with. And it allows these kids to talk about their different cultural backgrounds and the foods that their families have made. And none of that would I have known just by teaching them in a history class, even if it was a global class. Um, hearing about how a kid makes gnocchi, you know, like I don't know when you ever have the opportunity to talk about that. Um, hearing about how they all come together on weekends and they go to someone's house and they make food together. You don't think that of high school kids when you just think of random high school student, you know? Um, and there are so many stories beyond that that I think are, that reveal themselves when you spend time in that space. We have dance parties, so this is a new thing too. In the morning, something that is new is, I don't know a high school kid that likes to get to school before 7.28. You know, I don't, I don't know that kid other than the kids that have come into Project. We have kids that show up every day at 6.50, and every Friday, kids decided we have Dance Party Friday. kids that just make you look forward to school in a way that when you come in at 6.30 on a Friday, you know, sometimes can feel so cold and, you know, can't the weekend just be here. 
I've written in a lot of college recommendations, you know, like I am thankful for these kids creating that kind of environment because it makes me look forward to coming to school just as much as maybe they look forward to it. And here's the important thing I think also is that, I mean, let's be honest, these, these are at-risk kids and at some point they're going to screw up. After having spent this kind of time with these kids, and having opened yourself up and have them open themselves up to you, when that critical time comes where you really do have to hold them accountable or you really have to say, this is wrong, you can't do this, how are we gonna fix this? They're gonna stop and they're gonna listen. They're gonna spend the time, they're going to respect who you are, they're going to listen. And that, what we're talking about here is laying the groundwork for when the tough times come so that that tough time becomes a learning experience rather than a, mm -hmm. you know, backing off and saying, you can't tell me. And that's the, that's the investment that you put in as Absolutely. an educator. You build those times mm -hmm. so then you can cash in on that later on when it really means, when it comes to that meaningful time, that meaningful moment. The lessons learned in the project office are not always curricular, but they may be some of the most important. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever you ask kids why they feel different, um, for whatever reason they are different, when they come to a place that has a very um, strong expectation around acknowledging and seeing the value in our differences, I think everybody feels more at ease talking about the differences that exist. I think a lot of times, um, as the teacher in me, in my non-project classes, it's we are a little less comfortable talking or addressing or acknowledging our differences, whatever they may be. But that never really happens in project. We have fierce... Uh, conversations and debates over how people see things um, and why different narratives are justified or why we should discredit others. The best conversations I have ever had, the most open, the most authentic conversations I've ever had about difference come in project classes. There's a uh, willingness to just say things that I don't always experience in other places. And I have grown a lot because I have learned so much from the different kids that come in and talk about their different backgrounds, their different experiences. Makes kids better. And I also really believe that it's essential for those, I think our kids are better suited to go into the world because they have had that experience. Because they are not the kids that are going into the world that can't confront difference on any level. They have had practice in dealing with that. And I think, isn't that what we want in the world? People who can manage that in some way, address that, confront it? I don't know. That matters to me. I love that about them. <laughs> some of the best conversations we had, like that I watched and I wasn't always part of them, was like, um, Specifically around race, you know, like 
a white high school male and a black female talking about their experiences and feeling like in the beginning of that conversation, there's nothing that they can agree on and watching them walk through that together and feeling like a mutual respect by the end of their experience. You know, that's powerful. That's hopeful for the future. That's it for today's show, exploring an alternative education program with its own inspirational take on what and how and why we learn. Here's to the next 40 years, Project. Thanks to Alan Lantis and Jackie Spring for joining me, as well as current and former Project students who shared their take on the program and not a little bit of great music sprinkled throughout the soundtrack. If you want to learn more about Project 79, check out the show page for additional information. Thanks as always to Schaefer James for intro and outro music, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Point of Learning may be found on Google Play as well as YouTube and Apple Podcasts, where you can now rate the program. Five stars. Thank you for subscribing and spreading the word about this podcast to anyone interested in what and how and why we learn. Back next month when I'll be talking with Oscar Eustace, Artistic Director at the Public Theater in downtown Manhattan. See you then. Pictures. I Take casual that. pictures, I just reference that. shots, like what, but just like where I'm meaningfully gesturing at them, like <laughs> trying to draw out better responses. I'll get fun hair, like, like Hermione Granger here. Like, <laughs>